following podcast is recorded and produced by the Podcast Precinct in affiliation with the network at BICBP-radio.com. The Podcast Precinct. Consistency. Creativity. Culture. to the Starry Night Theater podcast. I'm your host, Alex. I'm your other host, DJ. And this episode is sponsored by JDS Electrical Inc., licensed and insured. Call 716-523-2711 for all your electrical needs. Thank you, JDS, for your continued support of our podcast. We really appreciate it. Yes, we do. Uh, today we have a very special guest on again who breaks a record for being on the podcast the most. It is my dad, Eldon Swartz. Yay. Hello. <laughs> Are you sick of us yet? Not at all. <laughs> never, 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 never. Um, so it's October. Our last episode was about Spiral Staircase. Spooky. So we're going to keep it in the spooky vein here and go to um, our in-house playwright and talk about all the fall thrillers that you have brought into this earth. And uh, I'm very excited to get into that and just kind of break each down and uh i think i think it'd also be good because a lot of people don't know stuff i don't know all of the thrillers like i know the names but i don't know yeah, what makes I, it what, what, what i it definitely is. won't know all of them so yeah so i think that's really cool and i love 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 um what you write so those are my every time we we do an original it's like one of my favorite parts of the season because well, like, thank you you know what you're what you're writing for and who you're writing for, so it's a lot more fun. Uh, okay, let's let's get beefy before we get into anything else. Um, yeah. <laughs> who wants to go first? I, I I just said I don't think I <laughs> I tried. I guess my beef is that you came in with a full on winter jacket today. <laughs> it, <laughs> it is it is cold. It's a crisp forty five degrees out. It is really cold, and uh, I love it. I, but I'm wearing shorts, so I'm wearing shorts and a winter coat. So it offsets. When I came back from the horse trail ride today, my house was at 58 degrees. I it love was it. freezing. I so I turned it, it up. To and what? I I think it's at like 69. Okay. All right, see that's fine. Anything over 60 <laughs> If you get into the 70s it's too much. But it was ne- it was already at 68 like set prior, so yeah. I just put it up one. Okay. Yeah. Respectable. Okay. <laughs> okay, I got your approval. Well, because if you're gonna if you're gonna hit me with like a seventy three or something, I was gonna walk out. No, because when I I uh when I left the house it was really it was starting to get too hot. Yeah. So yeah. I'm gonna have to turn it down. <laughs> but it was really cold today. I love it. I, I just love it more than anything. It's just it's too cold. No, see I'll 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 take from forties to sixties. Anything over that is too much for me. See, I'm like sixties to eighties. no that's vile i mean no it's not that bad like that's if summer was like 60 to 80 (laughs) i'd be fine and then the winter months 
Like, I like snow and stuff, too, but that goes on too long. Yeah. I like seeing it. I like having it, but, you know, it's too much. And I just, I don't know. I want to be able to go outside and enjoy it and not be freezing. Yeah. Once you hit February, then it's, like, enough of the snow. Yeah. And then you want Sometimes it's, like, still there in May. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I back the beef. Well, no, I don't back your beef, actually, because your beef was my coat. Yeah. So, I love you already it. said it. I don't know where I got this coat from, but I love it. It says Old Navy. No, well, yeah, but I don't. I didn't buy it. I think somebody bought it for me. Oh, well, I, it's Old Navy. I love Old Navy, so, <laughs> and I love the coat. I just, I just wish the weather wasn't 80 degree one day and then the next day, like, 45. Yeah. Like, yeah. give us, sprinkle in some 60s, please. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. But, like, all my, my whole wardrobe, I could wear it a different coat every day of the month. So like, that's what I like. I like coats. I like jackets. Yeah. You had three in your car yesterday. I know. I I love them. (laughs) You got to be prepared. All right. Now your beef, my beef. (laughs) It's, um, it's a general beef, kind of just a general warning to the human race. Okay. No, it's, here's the thing, you know, it's, it's stupid people. Stupid I 100% people. back this already. You know, here's the problem. We've had a, a handful of really, really intelligent human beings throughout history. So everybody thinks that that's what we are, and it ain't. Yeah. We, we're not a smart species. And just because I'm human, uh, that is not my favorite species. It's way down on the list. I think DJ knows my favorite species. Oh, what is it? Cats. Cats. <laughs> cats. Oh, Whatever they cat classify as. Yes, cats. That's, yes, mm. if we could all be more cat-like. Mammals? But just yeah, stupid but I'm people. Yeah, saying like, I don't know. You know, just, just general. <laughs> and, and, and just sort of this in the air kind of, you know, you're cool, I'm cool, whatever. Because stupid's never cool. Never cool. As John St- Steinbeck said... It's not the evil people who will destroy the world. It's the stupid ones. <laughs> and we, we sort of see that on a daily basis. So just – and this is what triggered me off was your uh, customer who wanted to come to Spiral Staircase last week and called and said uh, – left a message. I would like to sit front and center. Okay. Front and center. I finally get it back on the phone. She goes, where am I sitting? Okay. Uh, which I, I love, you know, to, I love to get into conversations with them on the phone. I said, you wanted front and center. So you are front and center. <laughs> you are in the front row on the center aisle. Oh, no, no, no. I want to be halfway back. Oh, my God. I said, then, then you would have had to say <laughs> halfway back on the aisle. Yeah. But you didn't. You said front and center. And, uh, you know, the older I get, I just don't let people off the hook. I don't. I look <laughs> yeah, for no, I wouldn't. stomping out stupidity. And it's just, like it's rampant. It's rampant. <laughs> and the idea that, well, we're all supposed to be so cool. Some things you, you can be, but not stupid. Because yeah. stupid you can fix. Well, th- you know what I mean? They should, yes. you, yeah, should yeah, yeah. Go home and read a book. Uh, <laughs> something. So anyway, so that's my peeve. Um, and sometimes you just feel surrounded, like, just by zombies. Zombies, zombies. In the shopping, yep. driving, they're everywhere. Mm-hmm. And you just see no, you know, nothing going on up there. Yeah. And so, anyway, so that's my beef. It's a little <laughs> cynical, but no, it I is like a it. daily ongoing thing. And it's just like people stop being stupid. Or if you're stupid, stay home. Just yeah. stay home. 
You can you can order out everything. You don't have to leave your house, and it's probably safer for all of us if you don't. So that's my beef. Bring in a little spice on my beef. <laughs> I like it. Thank you. I feel like it's a perfect beef that wraps up all of our beefs on every episode. It's just people are so stupid. They are. I'm sorry, but problem. they are. And they're, the, they're not listening because they don't know how. So we don't, there's no worry of us offending anybody because they're, they're the ones, a what cast? Who? Yeah. Is that a show? Do I buy a ticket for that? I'm like, no, oh, okay. Yeah. So there it is. Yeah. <laughs> I, all right. I, I back it. I back the, the beef. Hopefully not the tone for the next two hours. Yeah. <laughs> now that I got it off my chest. Uh, no, I like it. I, I 100% agree with that. I deal with stupid people a lot. And um, I'm I mean, very I'm st- upfront about it, I feel. Yeah, I'm stupid about some things. Nobody knows everything. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. You, 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 you feel uh, confident enough to say, okay, I don't know anything about this, but I'm willing to learn. Mm-hmm. So t- I'm interested. Tell me. Someone will talk about something. I go, oh, I don't know much about it, but tell me about it. And, you know, let me, you know, nobody knows. That's a different, you know, where you step up and say, oh, gee. But just to be just about the whole world, about you just can't even, you know, Go through the day without being stupid, and yeah. Without or being, ignorant, you know, yeah, ignorant. Yeah. That's yeah. another thing. Ignorant. That's right. There it is. Stupid. You can't fix. Ignorant. You can read a book. Admit. Oh wait. Oh, I screwed up. Wait mm-hmm. a minute. What am I supposed to do? What is this about? Fine. Oh, thank you for telling. Me. And then you right. never do that again. Yeah. Um. So you learn, and that's a process. Where I think we're all capable of it, but I don't think there's so many people. Ninety nine percent of them who don't even try. Yeah. Don't even try. So there it is. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I agree. I back it. Um, so I came into the episode and I didn't, I was just going to talk about the weekend and not share beef. So, okay. That's the thing. I was like, I don't really have beef because I had a good weekend. So yeah, it was right. kind of well, hard. Yes. About, I would like to hear yeah. about it. <laughs> that's, that's why I, I was like, I'll just go in and be okay. like, instead of my beef, I'm okay. just going to like. I don't know. I so we started the weekend off on on Friday. Alex Ryan and I went to Cedar Point, um, in Sandusky, Ohio. So we woke up at seven in the morning. Ryan slept. <laughs> oh, my beef can be with Ryan. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Ryan goes slept without right saying. <laughs> we lost power, so it was literally okay, home yeah, alone. Yeah. And <laughs> and so Alex and I showed up to his house, and he was not ready. Uh, he originally said he would be at dj's house yes. and then i got there and dj's like he's not here yeah so yeah so he was he was still asleep um but we we made the four-hour trip there alex drove the whole way shout out alex Yay. um <laughs> and it was just i had a really great day it was a lot a good of fun time too it was really fun we went on what eight or nine different coasters yeah oh how fun yeah and like the lines were were they weren't terrible no they were decently the long which is like, because you, you look back at it and you say nine, you're like, well, we were there for like 10 hours. I know. <laughs> but like the lines, I don't know, they took up 30, 40 minutes. Yeah. But I even felt like the ones that were 45 minute wait weren't exactly 45. Yeah. So it wasn't that bad. Right. But we did get a fast pass for one of them. Yes. Because we got stuck on a ride for a little bit. So we got a, a fast oh, pass. scary. Scary. It was, it, it was at the end. Yeah. Like we already had stopped and then we just <laughs> sat there. We were just sitting there swinging our feet for, for like 15 I don't minutes. know what happened. <laughs> um, but we went on my favorite roller coaster, Millennium Force, <laughs> now with our Fast Pass. 
Mm. Um, so that was insane. You go like 93 miles per hour and my headband came off on the, the when you went down and I caught it midair. Get out. That is oh, like that's so cool. Peak moment yeah, of my life. You were life. very proud of that. That is moment. insane. You're going 93 <laughs> miles per hour and I just snatch it out of the air. I thought you were going to say it was on Ryan's head at the end of the ride. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, but so we get in line for that and then we, we, we cut through everybody. And so Ryan and I went right to the front row. Alex sat behind us cause we only went with three people and <laughs> the guys who were in line to sit in the front row were just shooting us daggers cause we got to skip. <laughs> oh, I didn't even look over. I yeah, didn't want to see that. I felt, I mean, I genuinely was like, Oh, this sucks. But there were other people doing that too. They oh, yeah. also got the pass. So I'm sure that's also why they were pissed. Like, <laughs> Everyone kept taking their turn. Um, but I, I also, I was like, oh, like, do you have the cubbies so I can put the phones away? Oh, yeah. I had Alex's phone in my, my vest pocket. <laughs> and the guy's like, nope, you got to take it with you. So it's like a hundred something feet in the air, <laughs> 93 mile per hour drop. And I'm like, I'm, Alex's phone is going to fly out of my pocket. So one hand is on her phone. The other hand is grabbing my headband. And uh, there was a, a good picture of us going down and I'm just... Oh, I got to see the picture. Yay. No, we didn't take yeah, we it. We didn't, didn't keep it. We just passed it. Alex's phone is in Lake Erie right now. <laughs> I, oh, I, I, was, I was a little scared. <laughs> I was also scared, but I, I honestly like pushed it. In, I probably have your phone in print in my, <laughs> in my chest. <laughs> I was making sure that was not going anywhere. There forever. Yeah. Uh, what was my favorite ride? I can't remember the name. I also don't remember no, the name. No, come on. It was, it was the first one we went We on. were all ranking. Are the roller coasters yeah. as we oh, went? Fun. And Do they still have the racer one where you race the other person, the other one? No. I don't know. Oh, that's long ago. Long yeah, ago. Where, where there was a red one and a blue one, and you raced. A couple of them were closed. Yeah. So okay. maybe we and missed that, it. I think one of them was red and blue. And in, so and you would race, you know, and and I forgot what they called it, but the Gemini, I think. Oh, Gemini was there. But it's not a, is that not the racer? I, I haven't been. Well, I was there. We were there a couple of years ago. Yes. But when when that was, I th- I think I went the summer of 1978, and the racers were there. Or the red one and the red coaster and the blue coaster, and you raced to the finish line. Of course, there wasn't anything you could do to control it. <laughs> yeah. All the heavy people up front. That's why I was up front. And I don't remember if we won or not, but there it is. I well, six years ago, I think today. Was when we went. Get out. Six years ago, which is just uh, mind-blowing. I just have no sense of time. Me I neither. Not, I don't, yeah. If somebody asked me, I'd say, oh, three, four I years ago. <laughs> Six years yeah. ago. That's insane. But, yeah, no, so we went there. I had a great time. That was a lot of fun. Was the Halloween decorations up? Yeah. Yes. So the decorations were up, and we are excited for the night. And uh, <laughs> the Halloween was kind of a miss. I... <laughs> it was kind of a bust. Was it really? Even, yeah. I don't even know how to describe how it was it was just like there like okay the decorations during the day were pretty cool and they had these like animatronics and those were cool too but then at night it obviously was dark there wasn't a lot of lighting you couldn't really see where you were going and then the one thing we did was like walk around this bog area and they had actors, but they didn't really do much. They just kind of, honestly, <laughs> they, they, they walked alongside us pretty much. Like, yeah. they might have popped out a few times, but that was it. Oh, my. This could be my beef. Yeah. Scare actors, a lot of the time, are not scary. It's rare yeah. that you get one. Like, I don't like when they talk. Yeah. When they just jump out at you, like, that's 
perfect. And they said it. They had it set up so they could. Like, it's so dark. And then when there was light, the light was right in your eyes. So you couldn't see what was in front of you. And instead of, like, utilizing that to jump out, they would come out and be like, ah, I'm going to eat you. It's like, oh, it's okay. <laughs> Sometimes they really? didn't even say that. They were just like, hi. Like, yeah, some of them, yeah, some of them were just straight How's up. How's it going? Like, yeah. And uh, Ryan instigated them, though. Ryan was like, how come they keep going after me? Because you keep talking to them. Yeah. True. <laughs> but, yeah, so so the, the part we went there for wasn't that great, but the roller coasters and the rides all day oh, were well, I'm so glad you guys had a good time. Yeah. Yeah, it was so much fun. Yeah. So then we drive home, and... Uh, we go to Waffle House first, of course. Oh, yeah. So any trip with a Waffle House is an A-plus experience. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, then we got home at, what, 3.30 in the morning? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. And went to crew. Both Alex and I. Yep, not Ryan. Not Ryan. <laughs> not Ryan. Showed up at crew the next day, and Ryan did not. Ryan said he was going to come. He said, <laughs> yes. I'll probably get there at 10 o'clock. <laughs> and I thought he was outside. I thought he was there before me because I saw a car that was like his. But I got inside and he was not there. <laughs> nope. So so we got home three thirty. I didn't get home. I didn't sleep until like four because I had to shower. I didn't sleep until four thirty. Yeah, and both of us were there at nine. We're committed. Good for you. We're committed. We to thank them. you for your service. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, but then then we had crew, so we we fixed up the set. Did you have you seen the set yet? I have not. Okay. I was going to stop yesterday, and then I was going to stop just now. But then before, so on the way out, I think I'm going to run in. Cool. And grab mail and check the um, check the ticket. I'm not going to do the ticket over, just see if they're saying, and look at the set. Awesome. Yeah. I'll, I'll stop in with you. And look Yay. At uh, Alex and Nat are the ones who patched the board. Get mm-hmm. out. Yeah, he taught us how to patch. Yay. Mm-hmm. Well, shout out both of them for patching <laughs> the board. Very exciting. Yeah. yeah. Um, so then, yeah, we had crew. Crew was a lot of fun. And then... On our very few hours of sleep, we went to Wellsville for Tracy's um, photography show. How was that? That was really cool. Mm-hmm. It was really, really cool to see her stuff up on the wall. Um, I bought two pictures for the theater because oh, they were taken in the theater. Yeah, yeah. she showed me quite a few of them mm-hmm. on her phone. Yes. Yeah, and, and they're just really, really cool pictures. Yeah, so I cool. was talking to her. I just really like the style of photography she does. It's It's different, like... It's black and white and dark and ghost-like and spiritual. And, um, yeah, I, I bought a picture, too. So it was pretty Very cool. cool. I thought yeah. with the, the, her two subjects there, like the two the two weird sisters, that mm-hmm. would be a cool play. Like write a play of those two. Oh, wow, yeah. They're always in the, you know, the, um, and I just think, like, why are they there? What You know, study the pictures and then write a play. Yeah. And put up. Oh, yeah, she was telling me that. Put a put a background to it, you know. Mm-hmm. Put a put a story to it, and then you say, "Oh, that's that's what those pictures are about." You know, just yeah. reverse engineer from the pictures and make up a an awesome story of the two sisters at the theater. That'd be really cool. You know, how fun is that? I've always talked about Alex and I have talked about a play where it's like either you don't they don't know that they're dead or they're figuring out that they're dead, and that could be really cool. Yeah, cool. that would be yes. And especially like two young girls, that would be wild. Yeah, and then the, like, and then the, you know, keep like releasing all that that artwork. Yeah, they're in intrigue pictures, mm-hmm. you know, and so you're studying and say, what's going on here? What is what is going on here? And then build, and then finally trot it out. Like, well, here's the story. Yeah, of the two sisters in those pictures that you've seen and why they keep popping up in the ghost light theater. That's very cool. It'd be fun. Yeah, it'd be very fun. You know, 
sort of create um, a legend, you know. Yeah. And then, you know, then the question would be, why did she take those pictures? She got something from the theater. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Why did she pose where she posed? And why did she put the two sisters in the white gowns and take it? You know, it's very possible that the inspiration that was coming through is trying to say something about and then just take that further mm-hmm. and say whatever she interpreted that as and then and then make a story, you know, take it further. Yeah, I love yeah. that. That's really cool. Um, Coming soon to a theater near yeah. you. <laughs> yeah. <No>, yeah. <laughs> Add it to the original list. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, so so we drove out there. That was great. That was a whole lot of fun. And uh, the drive back was was also fun. I we so we were trying to figure out where we could eat, stop and eat, and it's such like a small town, so everything was closed because I don't know what time it was at all nine ten. Yeah, it was late. So um, I'm like, okay, here's a sign for the airport. I'm just gonna follow these signs for the airport. I don't know what your thinking was, (laughs) why you thought, like, following signs at the airport would get us anywhere. Well, because, I don't know, you think you'd drop a restaurant by an airport. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but it's Wellsville. (laughs) It's tiny. So we were were just in the darkest back roads of... Oh, my gosh. It looked like one lane, but it was two, and animals everywhere. It was so dark. And these two are like, you're going to kill us. (laughs) Uh, But we got home. We got home safe. Well, where'd you end up eating? Don't leave us in suspense. <laughs> we had at Red Rob. Yay! Well, oh. see, that's a good ending. And the waitress recognized oh. DJ. Yeah, she recognized me. And she always I... used to recognize me. And then... Wait, every time you go, is she like, do I know you? No, the one time... This is when I went, like, a lot more frequent than I do now. The one time she was like, hey, all right, back again, back again. And I'm like, uh, and she's like, the usual? I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So... Wow, you had the usual. Mm-hmm. I used to get the California chicken sandwich. Wow. That was my usual. And she knew I, I wanted campfire sauce with my fries. Like, <laughs> she was in. And that was the time I went with three different people in the same week. <laughs> um, so she was a little bit confused <laughs> that I'm always switching up who I'm going with. But I was a constant. And then she recognized me this time. So I got a bond. <laughs> I got a bond with Red Robin. She was She was really nice, though. So. Yeah. Yeah, shout out Red Robin. <laughs> Red Robin can sponsor us. Yeah, please, <laughs> please. I I feel like I paid I paid for uh, a lot oh, of stuff yeah. over there. So. Okay, that's oh, that's my beef. You... I wasn't even talking about that. I'm just okay. saying with the amount of times that I've gone there, I I have probably upgraded their entire kitchen there. If DJ has this problem of paying for everything on a trip and but not letting anyone not... else pay. That's not that's not what it is. Like, I just, I'm like, I'll pay for the gas. I'll get I'll get the gas. She drove the whole way there. Yeah, he paid he for gas twice. Oh well, yeah, because like, then I was driving back the other way. So I'm like, I'll just pay for the gas here. Might as well. Yeah, but then at Red Robin, Natalie and I were like, okay, we're gonna get we're gonna pay for you. And then you ended up grabbing no, the machine. No, they never said that. They made it a competition. No, we. And as uh, soon as somebody yeah, makes yeah. it a competition, the plot thickens. It's over. Well, we both said we we were like, okay, we're gonna. Yeah, pay. you said it to each other. Yeah. They whispered to each other behind the menu. So now it's a contest, and so I got my card in there first. Yeah, so he paid for that. But the kicker is, did you ever look in your coat pocket? <laughs> I still haven't. But Natalie didn't Venmo me because I asked her not to Venmo me. She zelled me the money. <laughs> I was like, well, if you I look hate in you your both. coat pocket, I hate, I hate you both. You might find something else. Yeah. Okay. 
<laughs> okay. I, I so just... in the end, we won. Mm-hmm. Yay. Right, okay. <laughs> I'm moving past it. I'm no, it's, it's it. very kind and a nice gesture. But sometimes I feel like we also want to reciprocate. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, I don't know. It's just once you made it a challenge, then that's what it was. Okay. So now it's a challenge. So we'll see what happens next time. Okay. Okay. That's all the beef. That's all the weekend so far. I mean, today I just watched football. It was a nice break from go, 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 go. Oh, but yeah. Yeah. It was a really great weekend. it was weekend. early. Another early. Yeah. Well, you might not have watched that game. No, so. I did. Okay. I enjoyed every second of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I bet you did. Jacksonville beat the Bills today. Um, what's I can't even read the date from here. Oh my October god, my something. my friend slash roommate. She said that her boyfriend was a Patriots fan for the longest time, but she converted him to a Bills fan. Yeah, so he's not a real fan. But now he's a Bills fan. So he is. yeah. So he was never a real Patriots <laughs> fan. I would never in my life change. And that's the thing when people call me a fair weather fan or call me any of that. Our quarterback, the quarterback that we spent the 15th overall draft pick on, however many years ago, three years ago, was benched two weeks in a row. And I'm still a fan. I'm still sporting the colors. I'm a fan. Yeah, I, yeah. I have a question, but it's going to be a side topic that's not important. So, well, <laughs> All right, ask it and I'll get it, I'll get it over with really quick. Okay. Why and when did you become a Patriots fan? I, I don't like Bills fans. Uh, they're very loud, very obnoxious. So the reason people love them is the reason I hate them. If you're one of them, great. Um, I'm sure you have a really great time. But I used to not like football at all. So I'm like, I hate how annoying this group of people is. So then I'm just going to start rooting for the other team that is their biggest competition. <laughs> so I did that. And then I was like, oh, wait, I actually like football. Like after I watched some more games, I'm like, oh, I actually like this. And I'm like, well, I already claim myself a Patriots fan. So I'm a Patriots fan. And I wouldn't have it any other way. I mean, I'd prefer my team to draft a good quarterback, but besides that. Okay. But aren't Patriots fans also crazy? Patriots fans are horrible people. But I live in Buffalo. But you like their team. Okay. So I'm surrounded by Buffalo fans nonstop. If I lived in Boston, at the time I became a fan, I probably would have been like a a Dolphins fan or something. Because it's just when you're surrounded by a group of people that. Okay, so it's circumstantial. You're... Yes, but it's 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 blossomed into a true, genuine love, and I would not still be supporting them after what the Bills did to them in the playoffs like two years ago, and what we do every week on TV to embarrass ourselves. So I'm in. I just I'm feel like your, your allegiance is circumstantial. It started, yeah, it started that way. You ever see Ten Things I Hate About You? Yeah. Yeah. I'm Heath Ledger. <laughs> so, and, and, <laughs> and the Patriots are uh, whatever her name is. Oh, it blossoms man. into a true love. Julia Stiles? Sure. Yeah, that's her name. <laughs> Great movie. <laughs> um, okay. You're also Don is totally checked out. Of this <laughs> I'm no, I'm, I'm observing. I'm observing. <laughs> I'm always looking for materials for a new play. <laughs> <laughs> so I sit back quietly and watch. Um, <laughs> yeah, this is all going to be in the next <laughs> the next one. Um, okay, so on to, to the reason we're here, the spooky stuff. The weather is absolutely perfect for this. The wind howling and stuff. I was listening to scary music on the way in. I just, I love it. I'm so in. So um, how did you, let's just start with your, your horror background to begin with. When did you start 
falling in love with with horror movies and just Halloween in general? Um, I I think it was um, I think I was uh, five or six when I saw Psycho. Okay. What? And, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, my dad was working. He uh, he was a bus driver. He was working the late shift, and me and my mom were home. Uh, and it was on TV late at night, and it must have been. It must have been. Well, it was made in what sixty, you know, mm-hmm. and I was born in fifty nine. So you know, it would have been about time that it would have been on TV late at night, and uh, we watched it. And then he came home, and she wouldn't let him in the house because you know, she was scared. <laughs> and he's banging on the door, and I remember <laughs> all of that. And it's the same year. I think I put this at the in the dedication for Halloween Dreams. Um, your grandfather, my father, when I was five, told me the story, The Man with a Hook. Okay. And so from early on, you know, just sort of captivated by by horror, you know, by by the scary stuff. And um it's it's just what I love. I love this time of year. I was telling Alex when you know before mm-hmm. Uh, with uh, Tubi being free and having all the movies, I've been catching up on a lot of 70s and 80s horror films and adventure films and other that I had not seen. I'm watching like two a day. My eyes are getting square, but um, <laughs> I'm catching up a lot of titles I had not seen before. And like yesterday and today, I watched Willard and Ben. You know, the ra- they're about rats. And you know the Michael Jackson song, Ben? Yeah. That's about a rat. That's the second movie. And they offered the song to Donny Osmond. He was too busy to record it. So Michael Jackson recorded it and it won a Golden Globe. Oh it was God. nominated wow. for an Academy Award. It lost to um, The Morning After. But Michael Jackson always said it was his favorite song. And it's a song about a rat. It's Ben is the rat. And I just, I never see, I had known, like when we were kids, 1971, 1972 is when they both were made. Everybody talked about, you know, I remember uh, my older brother saying, oh, you know, Willard and Ben, and, and I'd never see. So I sat down and watched them all. And I could see, you know, they're very much products of their time. And the little boy sitting at the piano singing this song, which I've always loved. I love, it's a haunting, wonderful song. And I always knew it was about a rat. Uh, they make a you know a friendship, beautiful song about friendship and stuff. A little boy sitting at the piano, playing it, making it up and singing it. And then over the credits, of course, it's Michael Jackson's voice. You know, just these things you hear about that not yet for free. I'm catching up on all that. So I've been seeing. I've been so yeah. I mean, I feel like I'm filling in the gaps in my education of of horror films and things that people talk about. And wow, gee, I've never seen it. And and. And Tubi has one after another after one. You know, today, what did I watch today? Oh, I watched Ben. Yeah, I watched, last night I watched Willard. Uh, today I watched Ben. Yesterday I also watched The Adronoma Strain. Probably pronouncing that wrong. Michael Crichton's first book, 1971. I'm stuck in 1971 <laughs> movie. From. Boring. I had seen it as a child, you know, younger. Yeah. Two and a half hours of boring. Oh, two and a oh, half horrible. hours. Oh, horrible. Well, it's, it's very smart. It's very, compu- you know, the old computer in 1971. You know, they're like, oh, my God, just right. sort of laughable. And it, 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 it's, it's kind of like Night of the Living Dead. Mm. It's about a, a germ that comes from outer space that they're trying to isolate. And, you know, it's killing, killed the whole town in New Mexico. But two and a half hours. Absolutely the most tedious. And I remember seeing it, you know, and then when he um, came to the set in 1971, Michael Crichton, and they were showing him around, um, his guide was Steven Spielberg. 
Oh my god! <laughs> so you wonder if, and then who knew? You know, finally an uh, an interesting Michael Crichton movie with Jurassic Park. But it was just I remembered it as a kid, and I remember the one scene where it has the 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 the, the germ wipes out the whole town, and they have dead bodies all in the street, and that's what I remember. Oh, cool! They had them all just they just dropped where they were. But the rest were just tedious. So that's what I've been doing, catching up on and on 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 the horror films that you know that I had missed or don't quite remember, you know, from the seventies and eighties. And what a hoot! What just uh, just going to be an awesome October, um, getting ready for Halloween. You know, mm-hmm. catching up with all this stuff. So, yeah. but horror it had always been, and nobody does um, horror on stage. You know, I'm yep. hearing barking in the other room. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, um, so if you're hearing that, do not adjust your set. <laughs> it's actually happening. Um, so, yeah, and there it goes. Oh, yeah. And so uh, that's it. So that was, and then so starting with the theater, it's what, you know, combined my two interests of theater and horror. Yeah. No, I love that. And uh, it, it, it's... It definitely rubbed off on on me a little bit and everyone else a in little? the family. Well, yeah, not more than a little. Um <laughs> I think Mike's like really the only one who's not completely in on Halloween, which is funny because yeah. he's born October 30th. So uh, That's probably why. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's like over yeah. it. That's right. Yeah, maybe. Um, but like Em's watching every horror movie she can get her hands yes. on. Rose, obviously. Yeah. Me, obviously too. But I always loved seeing your version of of your horror on stage. I think that's that's like my favorite thing to see. And that I think that was always my disconnect growing up was I would tell people about like, Oh, this cool, um, fall thriller. The fall thrillers are like my favorite thing. That we do all year. Mine, yeah. Yeah. And so like, I'm telling everyone about these stories growing up and like, Oh, so like you're not doing Shakespeare or this or that. I'm like, <laughs> no, what we're doing. I like 5 billion times better than anything Shakespeare could ever write out. So like, that's, I think that was always my disconnect that I didn't understand until I'm like, Oh, well, it's because everyone's not doing these things. Like, not everyone is as crazy about Halloween as us, but it's so much fun to put on something that, that is so Halloween-y or so spooky to us that it's, I don't know, that's like my favorite thing to do. My, and the, it came about, what um, you know, the summer musical started in 1972. I directed in 1982. And um, in 83 already we introduced the Winter Classic Okay, and the very next year, eighty four, I want to say, eighty four, eighty five. I think it was eighty four. We introduced the the fall thriller, and it was because the same. We wanted to do something with Halloween. We yeah. wanted to do something, and nobody else was really doing that, right? And that was part of the thing when we started up. But we wanted to be unique. All the community theaters that keep doing the same place, keep doing it over and over. You say, oh, now they're doing this. Now they're doing this. And I wanted us to be different. I yeah. wanted us to have something that nobody else had. You know, good marketing. Like, well, you can't get it anywhere else because we write it. And right. It's just ours. So once that, once we started that, um, it, it, it took a while to st- start to resonate. You know, it did with the younger people. But to really, mm-hmm. you know, get going. Yeah. That was, uh, that took a while. And now there's there's some patrons who just, it's their favorite. They, yeah. they love to come out in the fall and see the fall thriller. Well, it's also nice to have not like go to the movies and see a film. You can now go to a theater and see a 
horror play. Yeah. Yes. Which again, nobody's doing. Yeah. Nobody is doing. Right. Uh, they'll do an Agatha Christie, and that's like, oh, we're doing a scary. And and I love Agatha Christie, and we certainly have done her uh, plays. And um, but to have something unique and to have something. Um, it started out fall drama and then quickly became fall thriller, you know, uh, and then it, it tends to be more uh, spooky. And it's because, well, like, it's my interest. It's your interest. Yeah. And, for you know, it's not all we do. No. We do other stuff for other people. But when people complain about that, and over the years people have said, because I'm, I'm the director and right. it's, it's what I like. So that's what we do. I'm yeah. not going to do something I don't like to do. If you don't like it, go somewhere else. Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes uh, certain people, oh, I don't like scary. Well, again, to my be early beef, <laughs> you know, Simple minds, simple right. minds. I don't like scary because you're a simpleton, <laughs> and you don't get scary. You don't get the tradition of it. You don't get the implication of it. Everything that's of significance, or from in literature and everything, you know, whether it was um, Grimm's fairy table tales, Aesop's tables, the parables in the Bible, everything. Um, our version, of course, is urban legends, uh, stories to instruct. You do this, you die. If you do this, you might. And so there's a rich tradition in literature and in film, uh, the way that we speak to one another. And I'm drawn to uh, those kind of tales, cautionary tales, uh, which sci-fi is all about, you know. And and really, our Night of the Living Dead technically is a sci-fi. They're zombies because of the space virus. That makes the sci-fi people, you know, people, <laughs> I, oh, it's a monster. Uh, it's sci-fi, it's monster. Frankenstein sci-fi, Dracula is a monster. So there you go. Come, you know, bring it down from there. And so much of it goes hand in hand. Yeah. But to me, you know, the everyday humdrum, you know, uh, oh, uh, death of a salesman. That's life. That's a slice of life. I got a slice of life. I had it for lunch. Yeah. I don't want it, you know. <laughs> When, uh, uh, okay, for that for the longest time, this is the reality. Is that I I knew that before I sat down in your theater, right? You know what else you got? You know anything sort of challenging, sort of exotic, sort of dark and interesting, and um, and those are the stories that I want to tell. Yes, uh, with surprises and stories that raise issues beyond the well, you know, uh, maybe this should be different. No, these are universal larger themes that speak to, you know, all people who've ever lived. Right. What do you believe? What are you afraid of? What are you going to do about it? What would you do about it? Um, And those bigger issues were, you know, intrigued me more than just the humdrum slice of life theater that I think so many other people are drawn to. Yeah, I had a conversation, and this was back when I worked at the escape room, with one of my coworkers there, and it was when we were doing Our Wilderness, and I was explaining the show to them. And I'm like, I don't know, I guess it's just like a slice of life show. And he's like, well, why would I, why would I go and see that? He's like, I, right, I right. live a slice of life every day. And yeah. I, I just kind of sat there for a little bit. I'm like, oh, wait. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Don't see it then. But, like, I, I agree. Like, the horror, it's everyone is afraid of something. And so if you're just, like, pretend you're not and push that off and just like oh i want to see the the funny stuff i want to see people fall in love on stage like that's great to see but like 
everybody's got a fear. Everybody's afraid of something. So to, to watch that play out in front of you is so much fun and deeper than just everything that you do that you've written is deeper than just, oh, we're going to do a jump scare here. And it's definitely not gory or anything. Like, there's right, actual right. substance to what you write. Well, I think the, I think horror, the same as sci-fi, um, you know, uh, Ray Bradbury's Martian Chronicles, you know, all about Mar- Mars. Or why do I want to read about Martians? And it's like, it's not about Martians any more than um, the Grimm's fairy tale, Three Little Pigs, is really about Three Little Pigs. Right. You know, you go to Mars and it um, takes people by surprise and they'll say, oh, okay, let's listen to this story about these Martians, not realizing it's about us. It's yeah. about human nature. It's a, it's about – and so I think horror does the same thing. Yes. You know, there's instruction in all the best of it. You know, there's something um, beyond even like a cautionary tale – uh, that we tell each other all the time. And in our version, in the modern age, they're presented as truth. Yeah. Somebody just said there's, you know, there's a, a lady in white hitchhiking from every town has that story. Um, was it ever true? I don't know. Who knows? Why is it being told? Well, that to me is interesting. Yeah. You know, what does it say about our culture that these are the stories we repeat? Um, any of the urban legends that have come down and continue to be told, why do they, uh, uh, why are we interested in them? Why do they have such legs and they move and they go, to me, that's interesting. Um, you know, um, so, uh, that is truly interesting. And they always say, you know, write what you know. Well, I don't know. You know, I don't. I, I don't think that's good advice because nobody knows anything. Do you know what I mean? Right, like, right. write what you're interested in, and then maybe you'll find, you'll discover some things. But I love that. I love that. Do you remember the first one that you wrote? The first thriller that you wrote, not first show. Um, the first, uh, the first fall one was because. Come to think of it, yeah, I think the first fall one was called Voices in the Attic, but it wasn't the Voices in the Attic that was was my original. It was An Evening of Classical Horror, The Door, Part 2, because our first winter classic was The Door. It was what I wrote as a senior in college, and we put it on there um, at Concordia University, and every senior was supposed to get, graduating with a theater major, was supposed to get a one-act to direct. And I, I said, well, I don't want a one-act. I've written a whole play. And they go, okay. Uh, fine. <laughs> and so I had both my favorite teachers uh, help me. And my one, she was the technical director, and the other was helping me direct and put it together. And it was an anthology of horror that I had adapted and had a narrator. And that was an evening of classical horror, The Door. And it all, the whole set was just a door, and all the scenes, you know. It was the first time I staged Monkey's Paw. Um, and uh, a, a snippet from um, Dandelion Wine, you know, The Lonely One, things like that. So we did it here, um, our first winter classic. So the following fall, I believe, was 84 or 85, we did uh, The Door Part Two because everybody seemed to like And I uh, adapted five more horror classics. Awesome. And we called it Voices in the Attic. So I have two pieces with the same title, but they're totally different place so i think that was and that's when you hear people talk about we did the wax work where we stood very still we did um the first time we did um uh telltale heart right in a group setting i think that was what yeah 
or the Raven. One, I'm trying to remember. With some Poe thing, some. So that was the first one, and that was 84, 85. We did it at the Carnegie Center. Um, and uh, so that was the start of it. And, and, and people liked it. We put pumpkins out front and lit them, and we had snacks. And everyone was like, this is awesome. Are you going to do this every year? And, and we thought, aha, there's an idea. <laughs> and we have. Yeah. From, that, from 84, because 85 was Christmas Carol. So I can't, I can't, it was either 84, 85, fall of. It was beautiful. There was, they have beautiful trees there by the Carnegie Center and the leaves all over and people would crunch through and come in and to the theater. We had, we could only sit about, I don't know, 50 chairs in the, in the rotunda section. And we had our set up there. We had a series of six frames with one red curtain, black curtain, red curtain, all the way concave around the rotunda. And the different characters and different scenes would come through. That's cool. Oh, very cool. Oh, so, and it was, it's used as an art gallery. So we had a license sort of to be very artistic, you know. Yeah. And so that was, that was fun. That's awesome. That's yeah. really cool. I didn't know any of that. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was how it all started. And, and uh, so then no matter what else would happen, we were going to hang on to the fall thriller. Yeah. I love that. The birth of the birth of the yeah. fall thriller. Yes. What was the premise behind the door? The door was um, I took the five pieces, and I'm trying to remember the, uh, the, the, the with monkey's paw. You know the the door mm. imagery there. What's on the other side of the door? You know, as as a, as a senior, I thought well, let's let's just distill this. The whole question of what is, you know, and so that door was there, and it was used in all five pieces. Mm. I did a H.P. Lovecraft piece. The tomb. I did um, the lonely one. I did. Um, I shouldn't have. I apologize. But I did um, a short story of Stephen King called The Boogeyman. Um, we didn't charge money. It was a, it was college. I'm sorry. And <laughs> and that was when, you know, the boogeyman's behind the door. So it was kind of a catalog of okay of the door imagery and literature with this huge massive door was the whole set and you. You'd, what was going to come out, you know, how is the story going Very to unfold? Cool. And so then when we, when it, we came time to saying, well, let's do another show, I thought, well, I've got one that's free, no royalties, because um, we didn't have any money, and let's just trot that out and reset it up. And and um, and that was so, so the, the first franchise was The Door 1 and The Door Part 2. <laughs> yeah. Because um, I thought, well, they're free; they're public domain. If I stay away from Stephen King and Ray Bradbury, which again, <laughs> apologies to, uh, which I did, I made sure that it was you know public domain, and and then we were off and running, and and to a certain extent, um, I've we've done five anthologies over the years, and um, I think Tales from the Ghost Site fit right in. Could that could have been called the Door Three? For its format, yeah. which I loved, which I, I think because it was post-COVID, we're just coming out of that nightmare, um, that, that maybe um, it didn't get the attention it should have. But to me, I think it's one of my favorite things I've written. Under Pressure, and I was thinking last night of those five or six stories. I don't remember what they were. I absolutely loved them. I absolutely loved them. Um, uh, the puppet one, the one with the, the the father who has a secret 
yep. about yeah, you yep. know what his past is and in, in the woods and what come to find out what what his uh, the tiger 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 burning bright I you know none of us really thought of it because we were just thinking of surviving. This was our first show back. Yeah. And we're kind of like, uh, we're allowed to do this now. Whoever thought we'd have to ask, we're allowed to proceed. So I wrote it because I'm cheap and there was no royalties. And I cobbled it together. I, I had a great time putting it together. And looking back on it now, I think that pressure and scared, are we going to survive? Are we going to get back on its feet? It's all in there. The alien one, the first aliens. To me, that was a little bit um, Twilight Zoney, the whole thing. But that could have been The Door Part 3, you know, from what we started. That yeah, sort yeah. Of anthology. I love anthologies. Um, and uh, if you don't like this story, wait 10 minutes. We'll have another one. Right. You know, <laughs> and hopefully they all tie. Mm-hmm. You know, you have a theme or you have, whether they know it or not, you know, there's this sort of deja vu building up yeah. that is planted in each episode that they, you know, make sense. Yeah. Yeah. What are your other anthologies? Well, I've, I've made some notes because I, and I might have forgotten some, but my anthologies were Voices in the Attic, The Door Part 2, Voices in the Attic, Tales from the Ghost Light, um, Dance Macabre, which introduced two. Unknown characters we call Lottie and Bernice. And one, two, Fright Night. Fright Night was the door part three. Also, that was more, that was ghost, that was Tales of the Ghost Light, except I didn't write them. We did Lottery, I adapted. Yeah. We did Open Window, which I love. Uh, we took some of them into the Twisted Tales. We, we rehashed, that was Fright Night. Uh, more classic things that people knew. Yeah. Uh, Monkey's Paw was in there too, I believe. I just love that one, so I throw it in every time. So that was Fright Night, Voices in the Attic, Door Part 2, Door Part 1, and Dance Macabre, which were things that all happened in a cemetery. Um, so it was, I don't know, 12 different pieces that all happened in the same cemetery, disconnected. And that's how Lottie and Bernice were born um, in the fall thriller. That would be a so trivia ironic. question. Yeah, yeah. We say, oh, of course they must have been born in the comedy. No, yeah. they they came about. In, and Hal and Sal. Yes, right? yes, correct. In the fall thriller, Hal and Sal were um, were um, uh, uh, gr- uh, graveyard keepers, whatever yeah. you call them, yeah, yeah. crypt keepers, whatever. And they worked in the cemetery. And then, and Lion and Bernice just you know, that was their introduction. That's one that I I haven't read. It, it's. I've read a, a bunch of your shows, and then there's a bunch that I, I, I haven't read, but like know about, like Dance Macabre. Um, it, it just hasn't been one that we've brought up in the past couple of years to, to read, to like maybe do again. Right. Um, well, the problem is it. even more than here we sit because they're in it just so briefly. Yeah. The question would be, would, you know, would they be willing to play that? Would the audience, the Lion Bernice audience would not be satisfied because they're only on 10 minutes. Right. Uh, that's where everybody, you know, I don't think people pay attention to any of the rest of it once they hit the stage. Right. Um, we are working our butts off doing these really, you know, lovely little macabre pieces. And then they came out. And it's like, okay, it's over. And <laughs> their gig was, they were, look, I think it was Sophie, Sophie, I don't know the name, Sophie. Sophie. They're looking for their friend's funeral. And they're lost in a huge cemetery, and it's hot. They were the only recurring characters. I think they passed by maybe four times, and each time they came on, they were more wilted. <laughs> and obviously, at the end, ah, to hell with her, you know. I never liked her anyway. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that was the bit. And they'd sit and eat, because they always sit and eat. 
and and have their and and Hal and Sal were just on their perpetual lunch break. We had started that. So so oh no, Hal Hal and Sal one of the the priest couldn't show up. So Hal and Sal were asked to conduct a graveyard service. Oh, graveside service. Bad, bad, <laughs> wrong, wrong. And so of course uh Sal wouldn't do it. So bumbling Hal had to deliver this eulogy at the graveside and it's just a nightmare. Yeah. Just I remember um one old chestnut, I shouldn't say chestnut because it gives away the joke, that I put in there because he's nervous and fumbling, is um, he says, tells the mourners, he says, don't look here. Don't look here for uh, the person because a person uh, like an acorn is not here. That has gone on to become something else. So your your loved one is not <laughs> the, the um the shell is here, but the nut is gone. <laughs> <laughs> They're crying. They're, oh, my God. You know, just, oh, my God. So, the, yes, that's what happened to Helen Sal. They were forced into that. So so that was the gig there. Well, I mean, it sounded like a comedy, but it really, I mean, that was the, the other ones were just these lovely little, you know, one of my favorite ones is a Batman one. Um, I had Vanessa read it, one, you know, because she's such a Batman fan. And, yeah. Uh, um, one of my favorite things I've ever written. I think it's, you know, it talks at your heart, you know, you're like, yeah. oh my God. You know, so, but anyway, I'd like to come back to Dance Macabre. Yeah. One, you know, that was our first, first non-musical at our, at the Starry Night Theater. Right. And it was, it was right after 9-11, wasn't it? Correct. We were rehearsing when 9-11 happened and here we're peddling a play called Dance Macabre, which you think, sort of makes fun of death and it doesn't. Of course the dance macabre if if you study the 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 um ha- tradition of the dance macabre is uh it, it's an honor of of uh, it's an honor of the process that we move on. It's dancing skeletons. It's hey, we all move on. It's all, you know, and it's a noble sort of and all the artwork that goes all the way back to the beginning of time about the dance macabre. And it was really the dance of death, you know. It was not tongue-in-cheek. It was not frivolous. But this is what we, this is the play we were doing. And this is a play that we presented uh, mid-October, a month after 9-11. And, you know, you know it was, um, yeah, but people, I think, I think it brought comfort to people, you know, as yeah. you watch it. Because the overall message is just, we're all in this together. And you see family after family dealing with natures, you know, at, at what do you do about death? And we were all dealing with it really hugely. What do you do about it? Well, talk about it. Look at it. Discuss your feelings, you know. Put it out there. Don't, you know. Hi. So I think in some ways, and certainly for the cast, it was very um, therapeutic. Yeah, I just, I remember you telling me about that. I'm like, I, I, like you wouldn't even think of like how, how that just every, it changed really everything. Well, um, Larry Norton, who was disc jockey on ninety seven Rock, um, did the morning show from six to ten. I want to say he was stuck on air all day, wow. all day that day, uh, talking to his people and people. Kind of, then he was let off at six. He came to rehearsal. So that day, the day of, we said, "Well, do we cancel?" I said, "No, let's meet. Let's just meet." We got to meet. We got to. We got to be with one another. So we are, and we spent that two and a half hours picking him up because yeah. he had spent the day talking oh to Buffalo, God. right? Um, 
and taking calls and things are unfunny. And he was just just a rat. You just saw you know what he would. And so two and a half hours, we just sat in a huddle. And and decided, of course, the show goes on because the first thing they said is, you know, don't stop. If we stop doing what we were doing, they win. Right. They were already saying that at the end of the first day. So there was no question about that. And we talked about our subject matter. We talked about, you know, well, uh, you know, so, yeah, difficult, difficult, difficult. Um, maybe that's why we never came back to it, but I yeah. think we should. At some point, I think we should. I think well, I think you should read it. I think yeah. maybe you think, oh, there's some good stuff here. You know, there's some there's some stuff we can we can revisit. Yeah. Did were you ever hesitant to put it on after, like uh, as that was happening? Well, um, I think that what we were concerned about um, what people would think of who didn't see it, mm-hmm. just because they say, "Wow, Dan- really, Dance of Death." Well, it's not a frivolous dance. Of, it, 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 it's, you know, and when you see it piece after piece deals with, you know, our mortality and, and, and how you pick yourself up and how you stand together and all of those things. Um, and the comedy pieces weren't about um, the death itself. I mean, here's two Polish ladies can't find their friends. Right, know, right. And they're losing their cool on a hot day. And um, even uh, even being, you know everybody's fear of being stuck in a situation, fish out of water, like Hal and Sal having to deliver this very serious, right. very serious moment, and being these boobs who are not equipped to do that. And so um, it was well received. You know, we we had we had uh, some good dialogue, and people said it's the first time I've laughed, and uh, you know, since I go, well, good, right? I mean, you, and, yeah, you that's know, that's what we're here for. Uh, and what I remember. I remember, I don't know, what, two weeks later, a month, I don't know, when, um, when um, uh, Mayor Giuliani was on David Letterman's show, and the, the whole, the, David Letterman had just, like Larry Norton, had just had, had con- been conducting interviews and just, there no funny. There was no, and about two, I don't remember the, to- the time period. Was it a week? Was it two weeks? And, and Giuliani came on and, and, and Dave said, is it okay to be funny again? And Giuliani said, why start now? And that was the break. That was it. Okay, then. Right. If he said so, he was right down in the middle of it. Then it was, and then Saturday Night Live the same way. Um, we're allowed to be funny again. They say we need you to be funny again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and and for him to have the first joke, and then that, and then from that moment, and we were in that same time frame. Right. Uh, although we weren't peddling a comedy, and it certainly was not disrespectful. Right. But. I think may, we didn't get any blowback, but I think if anybody stayed away, it's because they suspected that it was. And so once again, like, so that ignorance of you don't like it, but you don't know it. And you trust us. We would never, ever make it more difficult. The whole country right, was going right. through a difficult time. Mm-hmm. We would never add to that. We would try and uh, put it on the table. Yeah. And, and that's what our piece, you know. So in some way, I think... It was good that that was what we were offering up. Because you can imagine doing something like arsenic or lace. Like, right, bah, right. Bah, bah, you know, meaningless. Meaning- right. This was about the dance of death, which yeah. we all were dancing, right. you know. Um, so, yeah, that's that was the dance macabre, yeah. There's another one you mentioned in your anthology series, Voices in the Attic. Not the, the other not. The other one you were talking about, the one that we haven't talked about yet. Yes, that's that one. Um, we did. Uh, it's uh, six stories um, 
with uh, kids and teenagers, and it's a big cast. It's like a musical. It's huge. And um, we did it all with ladders, and I wrote verse in between. Um, and uh, I, to me, it was gloves off. Um, I'm going to tell the stories now. I'm not going to adapt anybody else's. I'm going to tell my stories. Yeah. And my nightmares and my everything, and I threw it all in there. And it's it's a it's it's a celebration of Halloween, as all things, you know. And, but it just deal with all the archetypes of. Uh, one piece is about real world um, fears that kids are afraid of, you know, and it didn't, I don't, I just, I just, we just went for it. And um, it, 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 it's, it plays very much like a musical. It's huge. And one scene after another, and a lot of people still remember, they'll come up and say, oh my gosh, those clowns in that. Or they'll say, um, uh, oh, the effigy one, which I won't tell you what that was about. Uh, uh, and so, but visually, it was very powerful. It's so my first time I thought, you know, we're at the Riviera stage, and the entire set was ladders. At one point, we had 30 ladders, just ladders on a bare stage. And people crawling up them. And it was so much fun. It was so liberating. And it was so like, um, I didn't have to hide behind, uh, you know, Edgar Allan Poe, which is a great thing to hide behind or I didn't have to adapt somebody else I just thought no you know what let me tell my own let me tell six of my own I had not done that before and I was pleased with the outcome I thought there it is that's what's going on in my head you know so whatever there it is and I thought there's some moments you know horrific this comedy because I can't not be funny with stuff like that and uh so that's one I want to come back and visit, too. It's, it's a huge sort of undertaking, except no set, you know, which is a plus. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, that's, that's Voices in the Attic, the, the original. I mean, it's an anthology, but right. all six pieces are, are all me. That's one that I read a while back because we talked about it a couple seasons ago. And I loved it. I loved it so much. That was it was so cool. It, well, I'm glad to hear because it's it, yeah. written a long time ago and says, does it still play? I think, you know, I tried to be universal. Like, like even though the kids, what their fears are of the moment, right? I think their fears we all had. Yeah. And maybe right. still have. Right. And, um, they're, um, called the midnight club and they live in a tenement and they meet in their windows every night at midnight and they tell the nightmares they've been having. And, as they're telling them up here in the windows, it's happening down here. You see it played out. And I didn't flint. I mean, um, yeah, things, it was all in there. Um, things you'd be like, oh, my gosh, I can't. Well, it's a legit fear we have in this world. Yeah. These right. things. It's surrounded by mythical kind of witches and vampires and evil clowns, which is all in there. Yeah. There's this piece that's. Real horror. Yeah. Real, this is what, you know, and I think, you know, makes people think. Makes people yeah. think, oh, you know, come to think of it, I'll take the fake horror. Right. You know, uh, maybe let's go back to the evil clowns and the, the vampires and the witches and that, <laughs> uh, and the mass killers, because what the children talk about is 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 horrifying yeah. and true. Right. And, and, and that was fun. That was fun to say, they're your kids. None of them said, I don't get this. All of them said, yeah, these are my nightmares. Good. Let's, let's play them out. Let's share them. Let's put them out. On, <laughs> and 
For example, I, I guess, I, you know, it doesn't glorify it. It just says what we worry about. One is about a, a mass shooting. Yeah. That plays out. A little kid has a nightmare. A little boy scared to death. Go to the mall. Well, let's see what happens to play it out. Right. We deal with these big strands of ribbon, big red ribbon. Very poetic, very and horrific. Yeah. Horrific to tell their story, and then you see it play out here. And what's the resolution? Oh, no, this child is, this is a fear. Yeah. And to see it sort of, you know, played out like that and in context of a child's nightmare yeah. and then see it and they have a resolution. Right. Uh, of course, the resolution is why are these children all having these nightmares a little bit like Freddy Krueger, but not something's wrong in this tenement. Something is wrong with this world, actually, is what we're saying, that these children, each of the six of them, these are the fears that they have. And it's not Frankenstein and Dracula. Yes. And it's real world. Um, and I think that's a little bit shocking. And that you as an audience member are also feeling that. Correct. So it's, yeah. And I think think it's presented in a way that it's cathartic. That's the point, right? right. Not to say, oh, I'm scared of that too. You are too. We're all, like, we hold hands. We're all scared of that. You know, so maybe we can do something about it. So each story that told, now some are a little bit more, you know, well, but we are. We'll do it again someday, and then, and then people can judge for themselves. But uh, I was proud of that, and I was proud of the kids, just like in Butterflies. They said, this is important to us. Yeah. We will say these things. We will sh-. And, and And they talk about it. They said, well, yeah, I'm scared of that too. Well, you watch the news. You listen to the news. Of course I'm scared of this, I'm scared of that. So that was powerful. Uh, yeah. And talk about uh, good use of horror. Yeah, right. To say it's okay to talk about what you're afraid of, and then to find out everyone in the room is afraid of the same thing, makes you feel a little better. And to say, okay, now what's the next step? Well, can we do something about it? Right. Maybe there's something we can do about it if we're all afraid of the same thing. So the plumbing the universal fears of the children and all of us adults too are afraid of was. Um, was liberating, yeah. I think. So, yeah, that was Voices in the Attic. And, and, and we had a good time with it. And, and I think we shocked a lot of people because none of the pieces, except the end one, the end one's kind of like, oh, you know, what Miss Ruby knows. Yeah, The right, one right, acts right, right. at the end. It's a very Halloween, very, you know, although she has her sense of justice, it's about social justice, it's about, you know, justice in the cornfield, justice that, you know, is being doled out in a very Halloween way um, was kind of a way to smooth over the whole night. Right. Kind of right. say, oh, okay, go out the door humming these ditties. Yeah. You know, this, this kind <laughs> these of. Ditties. Oh my God. Oh gosh. I'm sorry. I didn't That's mean to bring Alex's that up. No, I'm sorry. Love, I didn't. No, mean I it. love that you brought it up because um, it's another use of the word. <laughs> <laughs> so there it is. You add, yes. That's Voices in the Attic. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's one I definitely want to come back to at some point in Yay. time. I love that. It's really cool. You have to read that one at some point. I do, yeah. I think you'd like it. Uh, okay, so that's all your anthologies, I, th- I think, from that. Yes. Um, I did, I've, I've written 18. 18, 18. fall thrillers. Okay. 18. Um, five were Chestnut Hollow stories. Five were anthologies. And the rest were just hodgepodge. What do you want to do next? you want to attack the, the hodgepodge? Whatever you, what you guys, whatever you want to know about, I don't, and you know. What do you I'm, want? Hoping I'm not boring your listeners. No. They're no. all 
sleeping. Wake up. Wake up, you wake up. (laughs) Let's do hodgepodge. Okay. Well, Hodge, let me just read that Deep End of the Dark, Mercy Mild, Lizzie Borden, The Silver Lady, Final Notice, uh, Dandelion Wine, which I remember, Murder in the Smoky Mountains. Those are the hodgepodge that are not either an anthology or a Chestnut Hollow story. Okay, uh, we talked about Deep End of the Dark on here uh, mm-hmm. before. I love that one. Love the set. Love the story. Um, Catherine, huge fan of that one. <laughs> so um, she's hoping to see that one on stage again soon, as am I. I would love to, and it's been over 10 years. It has been. It has been. You know, the, 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 you know, the idea for that was can you take five people on a deserted island and at the end of it when there's two people – you still don't know who the killer is. Right. That was it. Was just a problem to solve. It was an odyssey of the mind. It was like can you did that one play called Five Finger Exercise? Is five characters and the playwright just just sees all the things that he could do with the relationships between five people. And then intri- it's always intrigued me over the years. I said, can I have? Can we have five people on a deserted island in Lake Huron where there's ten thousand islands? And there's ten. Or is that yeah? Oh wow! And and so you know, and and so they have little campsites on you. You know, they take out, they drop you on Friday night, and I'll come pick you up Sunday morning, and you're stuck. You're on this little tiny island with your. T- and the idea intrigued me so much. So I thought, well, if we had five, would it be possible? And when you get down to the last two, that the island still, still, I don't know who it is. I know that was the that was the assignment. Yeah. And one by one as they disappear. And I say one by one, but only three people. Only three people. You know, but the cast is five. Three people are gone. And you've got two left. And my hope was I was like, oh, God, I didn't think either one of these were the killers. And then the twist and the surprise and all of that. I had a blast doing it. I, as a playwright, um, and I had a great cast who was willing to, you know, uh, and I think at any given moment you'd, you know, you, you because you're doing an exercise. It was like we could just be trotting out one surprise after another, and we right. started out right from the get go. Right from you had the two couples, and the one goes to the tent. One of the guys goes to the tent, and this tent's empty. And then the other guy goes. There's just two couples. And the other guy goes. Ah, good night. I'm gonna go to turn in early. He goes to the tent where the guys in, and you sit. I sit there for a minute. And say, oh, okay, we're cool. We're modern. And then he pops his head out and say, got you again. <laughs> and the, the, the ladies go, it's funny every year. And then he goes, you don't even know who's with who. Right. So that was the first trick. That was the first, like, and it was a way to say to the audience, don't believe anything you see. Right. Um, the couples are sitting together wrong. wrong. Because, because this one gets along with this one, this one gets along. So right away you think you know. You spend 20 minutes saying, oh, yeah. The, and then you realize, oh, God, they're not together. They're, it's, this one is with. Oh God, and so and you unease them, and and then hopefully, in, just with five people, uh, you unease them to the point where they don't know what's going to happen next. Right, and so that was just pure joy, and that set being on that set that was incredible. Uh, yeah, and and the whole the you know yeah, so so that was fun. That was that was a fun um, challenge, and and to write with just you know five people. Yeah. What were the other ones you listed there? I'm sorry, my memory. No, was no, wait, I just want to say I really like the title, "The Deep End of the Dark." Thank you. I feel like it's chilling, but then also poetic, 
And I every time I hear it, I feel like I could write a poem with that. Oh well, you you must. I, I the what it com, came out the um the uh, I think it was Catherine's character. Catherine's character um, is talking her her father. Clearly, there's you know it was more like he had um um oh they used to call it manic depressive but uh, polar bipolar. bipolar, and he'd sit there staring out the window. Sometimes he said his eyes would go black, and she'd sit there and try to talk to him and try to bring him around. And the mother would say, "Don't bother your father; um, he's in the dark." And tonight he's in the deep end of the dark. And the deep end of the dark is you're in a world of crap. And the father would explain it like he was at the bottom of a dark black pool, and he couldn't get up. He couldn't come out. He couldn't. And so, the metaphor for the character, the last two characters, is this is the deep end of the dark. You you don't get in probably a worse situation where the father describes being utterly alone. Here's these two characters, utterly alone. No help is coming till the next morning. Um, one has ill attempt, and, and, you know, Ill, and 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 so that story comes back sort of to haunt, like because um, the title. You uh, sometimes it's fun to build a title and title and say the audience sit there for an hour and a half trying to figure out well, what does the title mean, mm-hmm. and then you get a little story. Sometimes you don't because that's too on the nose. But I thought it was um, uh, to explain what it felt like to feel. I think sometimes we all feel that way, but to to really try and put into words what sort of bipolar when you are in the deep end of the dark and it's not about putting a light on. It's not about nobody can hear you. And so when she sets that up so lovely in her little monologue that at the end you realize, you know, crap, this is, this, she's, she's in it. Yeah, they're mm-hmm. in it right now. They're in it. Um, so thank you for yeah. that. I, I think yeah. it's just a, such a lyrical title. Oh, thank you. Yeah. And right. it, mimics different emotions that people can feel. Right? Like it, ahead, just, it couldn't I'm... just mean one thing. It can mean so much. Correct. And and, and, and and you don't usually think of darkness as having depth. Although, you know, my grandmother used to say, um, uh, dark is the inside of your pocket, which I po- suppose is pretty dark, <laughs> the inside of a pocket. You know, dark, dark. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so that would have different... And I suppose if you sunk to the o- bottom of the ocean, you would quickly understand that dark has different depths. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Love that. I love that show. We have to, we need to do that again. Very cool. Um, uh, Mercy Mild. I have no idea what that's about. Yeah. But I love the poster. The poster, you probably all seen it. It's downstairs. That's the, that's the pumpkin poster, right? Probably. Yeah. It's yeah. got the pumpkin um, and it, it, there's like a greenish background to it. It's just beautiful. And so I love the picture. I love the vibes from it, but I know not a word from that. Well, that was, you know, you, people say, oh, you do the Christmas show, you do the Halloween. This was, um, it, it was a, a boarding house um, on Lake Champlain. And you we dropped in on these uh, borders on every holiday. So the scenes were every holiday. Cool. So and it's been done before in movies and different. It's not typically original, but I thought you know as these strangers sort of form a family, we drop in you know on St. Patrick's Day, we drop in on Thanksgiving, on Christmas, on Halloween, of course, um, throughout the season, and then I think we end up 
back on Halloween. I don't know. We we end up where we we I don't know. So y- y- you find out the secrets depending on the holiday of these strangers. Yeah. Who are forced to live together and share a table and and share bathrooms, you know, because they don't have the wherewithal to have their own house. It's a huge old house on, on Lake Champlain. And 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 the characters are interesting and um you know, some people say, "Oh, you have to do that again." I, you know, I, that one and Lizzie Borden. I, you know, uh, I, I just, I, I think I, you know, you don't want to say failure, but I, to, for me as a playwright, I, 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 th- I think I missed the boat on those two, um, and I think they were close together. Um, it was just not a, you know, good concept, maybe bad delivery. Um, I have like, I never, I don't know, they're not published and they're just there. And, um, yeah, of course, the Halloween episode is scary. You know, scene is scary. Yeah. You know? And then the Christmas one has a surprise in it. You know, and they're trying real hard to be normal. They're trying real hard to have a life. But they're these strangers who are forced to live in a boarding house and share. So explored that um, similar to All Through the Night, you know. I think that sounds really cool. I would love well, you to guys, read that. You can read it yeah. and see if there's anything up. That you think we should redo or retweak? Um, I had difficulties with it, you know. That's also. I mean, I uh, and it was well received. We had a good time. Yeah, we certainly had a good time, and it was fun to do the for the for St. Patrick's Day. The the kids were up sleeping. There were a couple kids in the play. They were up sleeping, and the adults were sitting there getting to know each other, having drinks, yeah. and and we sang tour allure. You know, just as a sort of, and then they sort of open up. You learn a little bit more about. But in each thing that you find more about each person, some have really interesting stories. Some you think, oh, this strange person. You go, oh, my. by the end of it, you're like, oh, that's why they're that like that. And it's like we treat each other well we don't know the full story you know so by the end of it the audience knows oh okay that's well she's got a reason for being how she is and everybody's a little secretive because they're living with strangers in a house and i i seem to recall that the owner of the house was sort of a catalyst you know yeah and of course she had a secret too but she's sort of bringing trying try and forge a family out of these you know you know these strange people, so, um, and some it was there was a lot of fanciful stuff. It wasn't like, you know, afternoon special or real world problems. Well, the one old general um, spent his time sitting on the porch trying to see Champ, you know, the the sea serpent um, that's supposed to exist there. Yeah, know, yeah. Like champagne, and he saw the creature when he was a child and then went off to war and all this stuff. And his whole is to see it again, to wonder, did I really see it? So he spends on sort of life passing him by sitting yeah. on, uh, you know, they're trying to capture this uh, magical moment from his childhood. And um, what, what value is in, and, you know, you question, well, you know, so, the, so their issues, some of their backgrounds were fanciful sort of, um, the the one older lady gave everybody a strange gift on Christmas from in a baby food jar, and they're like, "Okay, you're weird." <laughs> and then she told them what everything meant. And it, you know, as the audience, you're like, you judge this woman until then you realize. Well, for example, the one was a struggling artist, going you know trying to be an artist, and he she gave him a piece of hair in a 
in a baby food jar. And like, oh, thank you. And she, when she was younger and she traveled, she went to the Sistine Chapel and she plucked a hair out of the painting on the side, on the, the front part of the altar. And it was very likely, you know, from um, Michelangelo's paintbrush. And so she's given him this gift of history. And every gift she gave had this, well, the, the, for the old general, she had water, water in a baby food jar. It was from Loch Ness. Yeah. It was water from the Loch Ness. So um, fanciful. You yeah, know? and so you thought this weirdo, and then you find out well, why does she have all the baby food jars, and you start to really, <gasps> she lost a child. Yeah, and she spent the rest of her life just living in this home with strangers, and so you sort so fanciful and and sort of delightful in this kind of Ray Bradbury kind of mythical. You know, this woman has saved all of these treasures up in yeah, the Yeah, that's cool. And uh, so anyway, so there, there it is, sort of, the, that's the tone of it. And then there's a scary part, of course. Someone's hiding from someone, and of course they show up. And, and now all these strangers, in order to save themselves, have to save her. Yeah. Against this person who found her. So anyway, so there, there's, there's that one, the one that, um, yeah. Mercy Mild. And Lizzie Borden was, you know, we all know the Lizzie Borden story. I just tried so hard to tell it, and it just didn't. I didn't. I wasn't happy with it. It was a big mess. So then those are those two, and then what's left in HodgePodge? Final note is Sleepy Hollow? Uh, Sleepy Hollow was a, well, yeah, no, Sleepy oh, Hollow. Oh, Murder in the Smoking yeah, That's an adaptation. I threw those. I only had two adaptations in the fall, Thriller, and that's, that's Dandelion Wine and... and um, Sleepy Hollow. So I mostly did the adaptations, you know, for the winter classics. Yeah. Or uh, Christmas, you know, Christmas Carol. Sleepy Hollow was a lot of fun um, being in that and seeing that. I, lo- I just love the story, the Headless Horseman story so much. I love the original Disney short. Yes, I do too. That's just the coolest version ever. So that, that was a lot of fun to do. And that one's been brought up. Probably oh, yeah. more than any other show. Yeah, we were going to do it instead of um, Howling Dreams. Yeah. yeah. And it's a hard show. It's, we had a lot of good kids back then. Yeah. And they all had huge monologues. You guys had all the huge monologues. The monologues were massive. Because I wrote it for you kids. Yeah. You know, yeah. You know? And um, I look at it now, yeah, and I, I, it's so tiring because it's so big. It's so huge. Yeah, yeah. So I'm glad that you said, well, let's maybe put that in the back burner and do Halloween Dreams, which is as difficult as Halloween Dreams was. is much easier than Sleepy Hollow. Yeah, right. And so it makes me tired thinking about it. I enjoyed putting it on. I enjoyed our twist to it. And um, maybe someday. I mean, it's not one that I'm really anxious to come back to, but. Right. You know. Yeah, so there's that. And then uh, Murder in Smoky Mountains, I thought was so much fun. We talk about that a lot. Yeah, yeah you're talking, remember you talked about when Trey was on. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, that one I want to do again. That was a fun. That was yeah. a fun, fun. You know, murder mystery, set in Tennessee, um, and it had some interesting, colorful characters. I thought. Oh yeah, for sure. I, I love the two boob cops. Just... Yeah, that was fun. That was so fun to play. Um, so fun. You know that. You know, a little bit like Mayberry RFD. You know, Andy Griffith's show. It's like, well, it's a small town in the mountains. Who do you want? Sherlock and Watson, right? You ain't gonna get them. 
So, and not to, we, you know, it really didn't pick on the hillbilly culture at all. It wasn't that. I think the, my character was kind of, all oh, okay. You know, a little, you know, like Sheriff Watkins. I, I like, um, you know, characters who are flawed. Yeah. Just because they're flawed doesn't mean they're good at it. And I think the father was not as bad as the son. I mean, he would, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I thought, well, he's trying to follow in the footsteps. And, and, and I thought he was delightful. You know, he, Trey did such a good job with that and uh, brought a lot of the comedy out. Oh, yeah. Even though people are dropping dead. People are being murdered. And um, so that was more, more of a uh, serious, but a, a spoof as well. Yeah. Of, of uh, yeah. Yeah, that was a good, that was enjoyable. Yeah. And then Final Notice um, made its debut in the fall slot, but is actually a comedy. A comedy. More of a comedy. Um, I think we, yeah. Yeah. I just, the, the idea of um, the critic dying during a dress, you know, dress rehearsal um, and then them hiding the body yeah. and then hiding the, rev- and then getting rid of his review. And then, of course, the actors write the review. Right. Um, it's absurd, but it was funny. We had a good time. Um, the first, I, you know, sometimes it's hard to come back to something that's so unique and, and, and singular. And, uh, and, uh, I like telling that outrageous story. Yeah. I like to say, well, they sent him in. Where's the reviewer? He's in the bathroom. Well, go get him. Um, I can't. (laughs) Why? Um, he's, he's dead. (laughs) What? He's dead. He's in there. He's dead. And and um, they find his laptop. And, of course, the review, he just tried. And that was the most fun writing. It just, we just ripped these people apart up one side down. Just, and so, not known to, as a laptop, the different actors would st- take it and run off with it and write their paragraph. Yeah. So it was this glowing, this, the final notice of this horrible reviewer, which may or may not have been based on someone we've dealt with. Um, Paul says that, right? Paul said that in his episode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because I think it was pretty clear. We don't know if it was or not. But um, And then when they read it at, the, at his eulogy, because then they ask him, they go, please, this theater company must do the eulogy uh, for the, you know, have the service at your theater since he died there. Oh, my gosh. And, of course, the setup was they needed the money. I mean, yeah. like they were on their last legs. That This show had to be, you know, successful. And so, of course, the, that, what a joke. You know, the, oh, my lordy lord. And so that was so much fun to play. And you're right. You know what? I think that was one of the ones that I said it was serious and then made a comedy because I was scared to death to just do a comedy. Right. When you say, oh, I'm going to be funny for two hours. Okay, start. Now it just horrifies me. It just horrifies me. So I think that was one. I said, "Well, if they don't laugh, we could say, well, it's a fall thriller.' <laughs> <laughs> and if they do laugh, oh, it's you know, yeah, I was no. So that was, and it was so. It's so silly. You're right. It really does belong in the in the comedy slot because you don't take and none of it's. That's a Chestnut Hollow story, is it? That, that's that's a Chestnut Hollow story. So there's six chess. Yes, because the it's the cast from, um, isn't it from Halloween Screams? It's right. the cast yeah. from Halloween Can you Screams. Explain Chestnut Hollow and how. Yeah. Well, Chestnut Hollow, works. the Halloween Dreams was the first one. 
Um, Birds That Stay is the second one. The th- you wrote Halloween Dreams before you wrote Birds That Stay? Yes. Wow, I never knew that. Yep. And then A Forest of the Dead is the combination of the cast from Birds That Stay and Halloween Dreams. So you yes. get both of them 30 years later, from 1969 to 1999. And okay. what, who are the characters? Yeah. I'm trying to remember. I was just trying to think of that last night. Um, um, Chance is there. Kyle's not. Um, the the Carpenter kids. Um, the sheriff has married Autumn. Arlo Pratt has married Mrs. Bartlett. No, not Mrs. Bartlett. Mrs. Pratt. No, Arlo Grubb. Arlo Grubb. Yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah. So there. So. Um. So then Chance. Never got married because he always liked Kelly. Kelly comes back with a divorce, being divorced with two kids, and the two kids hang out with um, with Trevor and April. Yeah, not a good thing. Um, and because if you look at the time, if Halloween Dreams was nineteen ninety two, it's only seven years later. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. For a Halloween Dreams cast. Right. For the Birds at Stay cast, it was 30 years later. So don't believe me. It was just spun my head, let alone the audience's head. Yeah. So like, okay, so this one. So if Arlo was 30, he was now 60. Yes. So you got the two casts going there, and then you have um, lip, you know, little uh, Callie comes back, a grown woman, and Chance, who's always had a crush on her, always, always finally has his chance. <laughs> uh, and sort of become a father to those two kids. Yeah, Kyle is off making money, and uh, and and um, possibly a drunk. <laughs> There's like a good word. I, he's very driven, and he's being very successful. So we don't see him. But that, yeah, so so that was fun to 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 do both casts. Um, and Sheriff Watkins is still trying to solve a. You know, there's murders going on, and the two families are trying to, you know. Get on with life, you know. Yeah. Still, it's the set is Burgess Day. That's awesome. So we still have the cemetery and the two houses. Birds that stay. So I've never read Forest of the Dead. I would love to. I got, I'll give that to you. Yeah. That's an Emily, you know Emily Dickinson quote. Emily Dickinson poem for Birds that Stay and Forest of the Dead. Burgess, her Birds that Stay is one of my favorite poems, and Forest of the Dead. I love that. It's right in the middle of her poem. She talks about. Um, between this and the forest of the dead. And I go, there's my title. There's my title. And birds that stay. Birds, um, we are the birds that stay. It's just a beautiful poem that talks about um, when the birds that leave for the south, like dad, people that they go to finer climates, and we are the birds that stay, the ones that stay up north and stay. So... Um, those two poem, those two are based on um, Emily Dickinson poems. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Yeah, she's my favorite. So I thought, you know, one of now one of these I'm going to figure out. Write a play about one of the other phrases she talks about is um, talks something about the Emerald Ghost. She talks about. Ooh, how awesome! Mm-hmm. Come on, Emily Dickinson, the Emerald Ghost. I'm just figuring out, well, like the Pink Panther could be a jewel, you know, some kind of intrigue. But um, I just, some of her phrases just stick with me forever, and I just love her. That's awesome. Yeah. I love, yeah, so I have three fourths of the dead. Birds that say is one of my favorite 
shows ever. I've never connected with a script on the level that I did with Birthday. Oh, I'm so glad. I'm glad to hear never that. Never in my life. You have to read it. I that do. was the summer. Because you talk about it all the time. Uh, yeah. Well, that, that, when you're 10 years old in the summer of 1969, this was all true. Everything that happened, I mean, not obviously, but the historical context. Yes, right, right, right. When you're 10 years old at the beginning of the summer, and the first thing that happens, Jody Garland dies. So Dorothy dies, and what we were told is from an overdose. So Dorothy survives all of that, comes back and kills herself. The Manson murders were that summer. What else did we put in there? Um, the hippies at Woodstock. Yep, yep. But there, was, there were five major, the war in Vietnam. Uh, this, you're 10, and you're like, what? And, and, and I remember the summer. And, and you sort of felt not safe. Yeah. Towards the end of the summer with the Manson murders everybody was talking about. Oh, they land on the moon. Oh, small thing I forgot to tell you. <laughs> uh, those five things happened in one summer when I was wow. 10 years old. Like, um, hello, world. Um, I'm supposed to be normal now. And so Birds at Stay dealt with um, that time period when you were children and trying, just like our children now have to deal with all the things happening. We had to deal with those five things in one summer. Yeah. Land on the moon. Charles Manson. And the hippies at Woodstock was just a, a, a generational divide. You were 10 years old. Whose side did you take? Right. Them naked hippies dancing in the mud. Oh, no, that kind of sounds appealing. Oh, well, one of the characters <laughs> says it. I don't know. That kind of sounds... Yeah, that's, that was chance. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but we were divided, you know? Right. And, all the, and, and those things happen. And, of course, the war in Vietnam and, and, and kids would sit on the porch. They had print a lottery. And you tried to figure out whether you would be drafted. My brothers and, and, uh, and you're like what? What? Right. We knew what you went. You probably didn't come back. It was just, just a nightmare. Just a nightmare. and to spin that into a, a tale of horror for children. Yeah. Um, and sort of put it all out there and said, "Yes, this is what it felt like to be ten years old in 1969." Was a delight. Yeah. I mean, it, it, I felt better sharing it. And a lot of people my age were like, "Yeah." How do we? <laughs> but it was kind of a magical summer, you know, for so someone who loves horror. It was a little bit like, oh, the world's getting interesting now. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. Yeah. That. Yeah. I just, I remember reading it the first time and just being, because you're like, I'm thinking about doing this one. And I had no poll back then. I was just, <laughs> I was just a, a wacky. Um, so I, I read it and I just absolutely fell in love with it and almost had the entire script memorized before like auditions even came. I, I would put it down and pick it back up and read it again. That's so awesome. I mean, just that it resonate. Yeah. You know, that it, that, you know to another generation. Yeah. Because you know, it could be like, okay, these are not our issues. And I think universally fear is. Right. All children, you know, you put a different name on it. Every generation slap a different name on it. But the idea, you're not safe in your home. Yes. Why were these people killed? Just, they were home. That night they were home, like the strangers. Yep. They were home. Like, okay, I'm not liking that. Yeah. Usually you could say, well, there's a reason. They, they didn't like each other. They're fighting or they wanted to steal something. No, no, they just were home. Yeah. And it was huge. The rules were changed now. The rules were different. And that was just the one thing. Um, you know, naturally, you know, the landing on the moon. Yeah. What what happened? What They did what now? As a kid, you're looking up there saying, there's someone up there now. Yeah. Changed everything. Just, just huge. Mm-hmm. In kind of a magical way, but still in the kind of a, um, yeah, the world was changing. And I think when you're 10 and you're changing, um, yeah. So the the idea to put it down, to get a chance to weave it into this fanciful kind of, I don't know, story of 
coming of age for yeah. these five, um, five friends, five misfit friends who live behind a cemetery. I said, how fun. I, that one will always be close to my heart. Yeah. You know. Well, yeah. mine too. And, and then you kind of forget. I mean, it was we did that 2016, 2017. And then uh, this past year, Marissa and I had the classes. So I was like, one story I would love to read from is Birds That Stay. And just hearing the lines again was just amazing. I mean, just, oh, I'm so just, glad. I love I'm it. So you know, yeah, Alex, I need to get you the script, and then uh, yeah, I'm very interested. Let me to, get your take on it. Like when I hear someone likes something so much, I want to know why. Yeah, well, absolutely. You say, well, gee, I see why, or or okay, you know, this exactly, and that's that's uh, uh, the part of it. That's that, that it reaches out and it sits there and it. Uh, interacts with everybody a little bit differently, yeah. but if there's a universal chord to say, well, you know, oh, well, you know, uh, uh, it's okay that you, you have your childhood upended. We all do at some point, and to be afraid and and have these little misfit friends to kind of hang on to, and as they're getting older and 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 drifting apart, and that's why thirty years later, I wanted to check in with them. Yeah, check back. How are these How are these kids doing? Um, thirty years later, you know. Um, that to me intrigued me, you yeah. know, and and of course I didn't bring all five back and tell all their stories. Right. Um, I just tried to focus on um, um, a few of their stories, you know. Yeah. yeah. Ben Ryan and I talk about that a lot because I'm like, of course, Ky- I played Kyle in 20s whenever we did it, and he's not he's not in the. I know. That. I'm I, like, oh. what? Yeah. I mean, you know, he he he. Yeah. And I thought it was important that he was away. Yes. Yeah, now yeah, he's yeah. away. Right. Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. What? Wasn't that the whole point? Right. And then the brother just sort of drifted, you know, and they yeah. said, well, yeah, he's out there making my own law. Like, what happened? What happened to there? You know, you, you, you're, you're, you're 12 and then you're 42. Right. And you're like, what the heck just happened? And so, um, and for Chance and Kelly, to me, that was an interesting story. I don't even know if Dylan's, I don't think Dylan, I think Dylan's doing fine and <laughs> Kyle's doing fine. And I don't even know Angie. I don't think she's, in, what the heck will we do? Just the two of them. But then the other, some of the adult characters. So two right, of the kids. Right, right. And then I wanted to get the Carpenter kids in because I wanted to bring in the Howling Dreams fans too. Yeah. I didn't want to leave them out. Yeah. So we have Autumn, uh, Sheriff, and the two kids. Yeah. Norman's off making movies. Yay, Norman. Um, so he's, you know, yeah. um, and then, you know, a couple of the adults from, from Burgess to Arlo, who I thought was such an interesting character yeah, and, uh, the one mother who had such a bad string of luck. Yeah. But she finally got a, herself a good man with, with Mr. Grubb <laughs> and, um, yeah. So that was, that was intriguing. Not as much fun. It's like uh, the second part of, of it. Okay. Especially yeah. the original miniseries. I didn't much see the, you know, I saw parts there. Um, the first, uh, the miniseries, the first four hours were the kids. The next four hours were the adults. Right. Mm. I like the kids part much, you know, I was much more interested. Yeah. And the adults come back, okay, well, you ought to be able to handle this. You're adults. Right. It was the kids. That, and I think to a certain extent, um, my reaction's the same for um, Birds of State and, and um, Forest of the Dead. Uh, you know, I enjoyed the, with the kids, yeah, you know, more than maybe the, the adults. I would sell my soul to direct that. There you have it. Put sell it on it. your schedule. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, but yeah, I, I would actually really like you to read that because I would like to hear your opinion on it. We're going to get a whole stack to uh, a reading list for yeah, Alex. Honestly. I do. I, I also need all for the For next night, time, so. and then we're going to drill yeah. you. We're going to quiz you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so say, stop it, stop yeah. it. But I also think it's, I like consuming what people say they like because it lets you in on a little piece of them. Correct. I, yeah. I agree 100%. You, you you find little things about someone, mm-hmm. you know. You say you think you know them, and it, it endears. It, oftentimes, it you know even something they like to eat, you know. So, oh, I love this. Like, oh, oh, this is my favorite cereal. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's cool to know about you. Yeah. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. You find out qualities, and and this person likes. Then it becomes dear to you. Yeah. Uh, if for no other reason than yeah. someone you care about, I feel likes like it. that's what that is. Like you talk so highly of this that I feel yeah. like it would just be endearing to me. To know that you like that so much. Yeah. And I, I always like, oh, well, maybe it was the experience. And it definitely wasn't the experience of doing it. It's It was the script. Oh, okay. It was certainly the script because I loved it beforehand. Um, and I had such an attitude back then. So the experience wasn't <laughs> wasn't the best show. But uh, the the script, the, the, the story that, that is there is just fantastic. Uh, okay. So that do those connect with any of the other chestnut? hollow story. so that's that's just a, a place that you made up right correct yeah correct so those three are chestnut hollow stories the other three halloween screams was the other side of town um was a theater company yeah. and they're the same company as um in final notice okay the same people the same uh, nutheads um and it was our experiences you know put out there Kind of, and the first one, Halloween Screams, is our experience doing a annual haunted house with the youth center, and so, um, and then of course, as they come to find out, you know, we we had a lot of experiences there, so it was it was ha- is actually haunted, and the theater was given the basement, which is the opposite of what's true. We had the second floor to to do, and the youth center had the basement, but we flipped it, and and for my story, and we were given the fur- the old furnace room, the sub basement, you know, one year, and we all go down there, and go, how do we turn this into a? And throughout the course of the play, we turn it into a haunted house. Yeah, um, and so that was fun. I mean, that's that's more of a comedy. Again, there's some serious, you know, there's a little girl in white that Justine got to play. There's a little tunnel that connects to another building and she'd come out there when no one was on it. That was fun. You know, we'd sort of see, and then we'd find out her story, you know, like Mary in our little yeah. Mary in our place. So that, so then um, I liked those characters enough to say, well, I had the idea for final notice. Just, you got those, you got a theater company. You've already written them. Right. Just put them in, tell another story for those guys. So those, and what's the other one that we said was a silver lady. no, that's not. Oh, we haven't talked about Silver Lady. No, oh, no, but I thought about making that a Chestnut Hollow story. What's oh, Night of Dark Content, Night of Dark Content. I mean, not, not that we have to. I'm, that was the other Chestnut Hollow story. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Silver Lady almost became a, a chest. But I said, there's no lighthouse yeah. in landlocked Chestnut Hollow, so I needed to make Dark Harbor. And I've often thought about making more stories in Dark Harbor. How fun would that be? That would be cool. I, I, I you know, I just, I was kind of over that play until you guys wanted to do it. We did it. And the response is just, I thought, you know, you just say, oh, ho-hum. They're like, oh, yeah, you do seven shows a year, whatever. But the audience really liked it. Yeah. Like, yeah, Silver Lady, right? Yeah. Yeah, you saw that, didn't mm-hmm. you? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was like, what? Okay. I mean, so, but Dark Harbor, I love 
the idea of being on the, you know, was a main on, on that, it, yeah. it, it, opposed to um, Western New York, uh, Chestnut Hollow. Yeah. yeah. So one of these days, I should, we should go back to the tower, back to the lighthouse, back yeah. to uh, check out what those people are doing and give them a new... Uh, I thought that was a lot like um, the Hardy Boys or Nancy Drew. You know, if grew up. Uh, I grew up, of course, reading Hardy Boys because that's what little boys read and little girls read Nancy Drew. And um, I, I was very captivated by the, you know, their little simple mysteries, but the way that they went about them. And I, to me, um, uh, elements of Silver Lady is like a, um, um, a Hardy Boys mystery. Yeah, yeah. The kids figured out. The kids yeah, on, no, I like Scooby Doo. Mm-hmm. The kids on uh, figure out what's going on before the adults have no idea what's going on. Yeah, no, that was a lot of fun. That was fun. Yeah. Um, okay, so what? So Halloween Dreams is another uh, Chestnut Hollow. Love, 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 love Halloween Dreams. I just one of my favorite plays. You did a great job reimagining it for for this generation. You know, you really did. Thank you. That was one, again, we had done twice. And I was, you know, uh, you said, oh, let's do it. And I, okay. Um, and we, we did it. And yeah, that was and, my first fall thriller I ever directed. I, I loved every minute of, of directing that. And I just, it's just so Halloween. It it's is. Just and, Halloween you know, everywhere. I just, just a grab bag of just everything that you love about Halloween. And that was, I mean, I had a list. Yeah. Oh, it's getting in there. Everything I loved about Halloween, the scary radio. When you're sitting at home here, uh, uh, there's an escape killer in town. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, I, well, this had to be in there. Yeah. So I had a yeah. list. Everything as a child growing up that you love about Halloween, a real murder mystery, decorations, everything about Halloween needed to be crammed in this story. Yes. And so that was my guiding light was, was to celebrate Halloween. Yeah. No, I love that. And then I'm looking at your list. I think the only one we haven't talked about is A Night of Dark Intent, right? Yes, yeah, so we've yeah, we've we spent whole episodes on that before, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I love <laughs> I that's another one that I, I would sell my soul to direct. And what we did that twenty eighteen? Yeah. <sighs> I, yeah, I wanna say. That's one I said too, I would want to be in again. Yeah. Yeah, I it's that one's just fantastic. I love the twist, I love, because murder mysteries I always are always hit or miss for yes, me. Yes, yeah. I'm always, either I really care and I actually am invested, or it's just, I, I don't care. I come to, you sort of find out that if you can get to a point, um, some of Agatha Christie and I just, uh, this was this was all a tribute to her and her brain and how she, you know, I just love her. Um, I, I, as a child, was reading her books. One of the first ones I read was called um, Halloween Party. Okay. And um, then, I, you know, uh, they'd get me the, the paperbacks of them. I think she has 80, and I haven't read all 80, but I've I read several of them. And um, the notion that if you have an interesting enough story, even if they know who did it, you can still come back for more and still watch it. And that was sort of my goal for um, A Night of Dark Intent. Even if you know the answer, uh, you're not going to see the ending coming. Yeah. And you're not going to see the surprise coming. Right. So... Um, I needed to. I need to pack that up with all kinds of extras, so that if someone stood out on the sidewalk and said, "Blank did it. Blank's the killer," you'd still have an interesting evening. Oh yeah. So that was sort of my, you know, 
my guiding thing, like you say, because if it's just about, you know, DJ's a killer, okay. Yeah. Why am I here then? Right. You know, if I know that going somewhere. So um, the same with, I think, her, you know, I mean, it's so common that it doesn't get the, the credit always that it deserves, is, is, and, and then there were none. You know, yes. used to be called oh, uh, yeah. Ten Little Indians. Um, oh, and here you delight. What a delightful thing! You you got what eight murders? You yeah. got eight murders in two hours. Just just delightful, one after another. They're it's like a, it's like Friday the Thirteenth, and uh, the characters are so interesting. She does it so well. Oh yeah, that you're like I forget who did it. I don't really care. I'm having a great time, and the idea at the end of that, there's two people left. Yes. And the twist she throws in there. And yeah. she does that. That's what I want to do. Um, the Unexpected Guest, Agatha Christie. It opens with a dead man in a wheelchair. His wife is standing over him with a smoking revolver. That's the first scene. And you're like, go. And then this stranger comes in. And you're like, okay, we see who the killer is. Like, you don't know anything. You yeah. know? And then she unravels it. And you're like, what just happened? Oh, brilliant. Just, you know, and it's set in Wales, you know, and we've had it on our schedule twice and I panicked and took it off because it's a small cast and they have to be really, really good yeah. to pull this off. Um, and and just to, just come on. And it's called The Unexpected Guest. And, and this man who has car trouble comes in, sees this woman with a smoking gun standing over... Uh, a dead man in a wheelchair. And then you're like, well, where can this possibly go? Um, strap on your seatbelt. Because then you, did, you, just, you just see how brilliant and how wonderful and how marvelous. And so that's always my goal for, for um, Night of Dark Intent to have yeah. a couple Agatha Christie turns. Oh, yeah. Where yeah, you could there say, there definitely are. To say, oh, if she's up there in a cloud, say, okay, not bad. <laughs> in her English accent, not bad. <laughs> um, uh, to, be, to, to pass that on, the joy of those moments. And it's, for her, it's a little bit like flexing her muscle, her little old lady muscles, to write something like The Unexpected Guest. Like, or, or, or witness for the prosecution. Like, okay, what? What just happened? What? Ju- well, there it is. Agatha yeah. Christie. Yeah. So um, she's always been like a sort of a guiding light. With, and not only a great now, but play, she wrote, she adapted uh, those three plays. And if you have a murder mystery, like Ira Levin has one, you know, Death Trap, she has three. Three in the top. I mean, three huge. Witness for the Prosecution, The Mousetrap that plays every night for the past, what, 40 years in England. In one wow. theater, that it's the only thing it plays is the mousetrap. Oh. Yeah, and if you go there, you're supposed to see it. It's a small theater. Oh my God. Um, and the other one, of course, is Ten Little Indians, you know, and then there were none. She adapted all those uh, from her novels. Wow. And uh, uh, brilliant playwright as well as novelist. You know, anyway, so yeah, my um, for, for Night of Dark Intent, that's all her, and that's why it's dedicated to her. And, and anybody who knows her, the dedication reads uh, for Agatha Christie. She knows why. And right away, that intrigue, okay, okay, what? Right. What's about to happen? Sort of a challenge, sort of like, um, really, you're going to compare yourself with, and I'm really not. And so it's just a humble way of saying, this one's for you, because she's given me so many years of, of, of that all th- pleasure of 
getting inside your mind. You could scarce, but if you get inside your mind, you know, uh, it sticks with you. So anyway, so the long story short, that's, you know, Night of Dark Intent. Yeah. I love it. I love that show. I and love... that's a poem, Robert Frost poem. I love to get my titles right. from poems because if the play is horrible, at least the title's good. <laughs> <laughs> I think that that's it. We covered yeah, all your yeah, original. So I bored people to death. No, I, you, you asked me about so yesterday. I wrote them all down. I kept forgetting some. You know, uh, yeah, yeah. I love, I love it. I love your originals. I can't wait for more new ones too. Yeah. I mean, not to put you on the spot, but <laughs> I better get to work. Yeah. <laughs> Um, okay, any closing remarks from anyone? No, I think (laughs) (laughs) this was fun for me anyway to go down memory lane. I think it's awesome, and a lot of people don't Mm -hmm. know these stories, and they'll see it on the wall. So I'm glad. I hope hope, hope we're not boring our listeners this week. No. Alex what do you and I always mean? Bore we those never stories. bore them. No, you don't. <laughs> but sometimes your guests like me, they'll no. be saying, Where, "Where's that uh, Ben and VJ from last week? <laughs> Put them back on. Bring them back out here." <laughs> no. Um, okay. All right. Well, that's it. Oh, well, come see um, 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 the zombie show. Yeah, Night of the Living Dead opens yes. this Thursday, and the zombies are awesome. The zombies, because y'all come see the zombies. Let's not fool each other. Yeah, and yeah. the zombies are awesome. And our light board operator, Rosie Swartz, is awesome. <laughs> and I'm so excited she's up there, and she's so excited to be up there. And it's going to be an awesome light show. Yeah. So shout out Rosie for being our. Um, did you do? Did you do the lights already? I did. Yeah, wow, I aimed yay. the lights. And oh, then- I can't. Alex and Nat Patch. Oh, yeah, he had a blast. That's right. Cause you're, yeah, so we got new patchers. We got a new light. This is exciting. And uh, Rosie said, and, and she was so excited. I said, you know, you realize you're running a plot from Staircase. She goes, oh, I know that. You know, And I said, wait till you have the one designed for this show. You're going to really just have a blast. And she's so into it. And um, I'm so excited to have her up in the booth. Yeah. Have she done lights before? No, well, um, Twenty years ago, the very first time we did um, the uninvited guest, the uninvited, the uninvited, no, just the uninvited. That was in two thousand and four. Yes, because Mikey was in. You know, they were all born during a play, (laughs) and DJ's was the foreigner. Yep, I was born during the foreigner, but Dance Macabre is dedicated to me. Correct. Yes, because I had to find out who you were. (laughs) <laughs> and poor Mikey came along and uninvited. And I'm like, no, never. Um, and so Rosie, what, however years they're apart. So, I don't know, she was six, seven, something like that. I have no she idea. sat in the booth with me and she did the specials. We had a ghost that appeared in a mirror. And so we had the plexiglass and we had a dummy. We took a dummy and put up high in, the, in there. So the dummy was in there made up like a ghost and it was in there the whole time but you'd hit a light behind it or in front of it and and she showed up like in the mirror and so she did that one and she did a cut one that when at the end when the whole place like poltergeist the whole place goes crazy she did quite a few her little fingers were down there and at first she was hesitant I said here when I say when I say now push that button and she'd make the ghost appear and so there she did have an opportunity to run lights and help me with with I think that's why that's one of her favorite shows too. Yeah, she speaks yeah, to yeah. that the first one really highly, and we did have we did like a haunted house, so we had a blast. So I'm happy to see her now up there running. I'm excited. Yeah, you know, yeah. yay. 
And so come see the zombie show. It's a fundraiser for the theater. We need to keep the building uh, uh, up and going. And we have so many plans by the end of the decade. Um, and so we need you to come out and observe the running of the zombies and, uh, and support. Um, and you will not be disappointed. I guarantee. Guarantee. Absolutely. Yay. Great. You're... Your outro. Uh, this episode is sponsored <laughs> by. You know, you've never. Do you ever do this? No, it's just my thing. I used to do it, and then you did your commercial voice, and I was like, "There <laughs> oh, it yeah. is." Okay. That was your audition, and you won. Oh, I beat you. You got the role. You did. <laughs> you did. Well, this episode is brought to you by JDS Electrical, licensed and insured. Call seven one six five two three two seven one one for all your electrical needs. All right. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you.